Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everybody, this is Dana Scott, AZ Central, Suns beat writer, and our co-host Patrick Batillo, super fan, Mr. Orange of the Phoenix Suns. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you? Great, man. It's great to have you. And it just seems ever since I've, you know, seen that crazy Game 7 loss last week, it, it's been a week, and the dust is starting to settle from that tragic loss. I say tragic because... This is about Suns fans. We haven't had a game. I'm sorry. We haven't had a podcast focusing on the fans. We've all basically had guests and talked about just the numbers and all the X's and O's stuff and everything involving the games, but nothing really pertaining to just the fans and their sentiment about this game seven loss particularly yet. So, that's what we're going to focus on today for our ninth episode of the Inferno podcast, which is focusing on the Suns. Where do we go from here? And this is for the Suns fans strictly, meaning you and everybody else that has been riding with this team from the good times and the bad times. And there's still good times, just that you had a bad time to leave off with as of last Sunday, you know, May 15th against the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. And what he did inside the Footprint Center, it was pretty, pretty bad from the start. So what did you see that made you say, oh, man, this is going to be a long night? I mean, what oh. didn't make <laughs> me think that? I'm Honestly, uh, you know, the start of the game, uh, you didn't want to start slow, but we can come back from that. That's fine. But then it just continued. And it was we, we missed layups. Um Shots we normally make, Chris Paul comes up, finally pulls up from his, you know, elbow or elbow extended and misses that one. And it was like, okay, is it going to be, you know, one of these kind of starts? And then, you know, fast forward to the end of the first quarter and we barely scored and fast forward into the first half and we have 27 and so does Luca. Um, and, and that's our whole team. And so there, uh, the emotions are, I, I, Every time I'm asked about them, they're mixed in terms of, you know, disappointment, sadness, uh, embarrassment, frustration, but put yourself in the player's shoes and imagine how they feel. And they didn't want to come out and play like that. Doesn't give them an excuse. I'm not here to give a pity party for them, but it, it's like the emotions that followed that from the Phoenix Suns fan base vary from uh, one extreme to the other. Right. And so um, it, it's just been really disappointing and, and sad to watch playoffs continue and, and our, our season just come to an abrupt end when that was not what anyone had expected within this organization or fan base. It feels like the SpongeBob meme where you got the one character inside the house looking through the window and there's the two other friends. Uh, I don't know SpongeBob char characters by name, but the two other friends they see outside the window are like, with their hands up, having fun, like, yay. Like, that's what the playoffs are like to a lot of Suns fans, and that you kind of alluded to that in your diatribe. So it seemed like a haboob to me <laughs> when I saw Game 7 in person like you did. 
if you've ever driven through a dust storm or a haboob in Phoenix, that is a cloud of dust that hovers over the city. For those that don't know what a haboob is, okay? It is basically the one of the weirdest things as an East Coast uh, bred person that I am that I've ever driven through. It's a lot of dust, it's a lot of wind, and it's just debris flying everywhere. And it just goes, and if you've ever seen an aerial shot of a haboob, it's like kind of like a War of the Worlds looking thing that just a big cloud of dust that hovers over the city. Seems like a natural disaster happening. And that's what it felt like, a natural disaster from the start. I mean, when Luca hit those first three shots, you know, to go up 8-0, uh, he hit two threes, and then, a, and then he hit a step back turnaround on Aiton in the paint, you know, after posting him up with, and then hit a fadeaway basically at the right elbow. That was like, oh, it's going to be a long night because he's, he's on. And the Suns really didn't have an answer for him. Then it just descended even further into this abyss for the Suns. And they could not get out of a shooting slump. They couldn't get started. And it just seemed like just garbage flying everywhere from the Suns. And it was just – it just seemed like by halftime, the haboob that usually has a lot of high winds, and you hear this woo as you're driving through it, it, or, or if you ever stepped outside during a haboob with all the, the wind going everywhere, you heard this wave of boos from the crowd. That's where I felt like I was like, wow, this is basically like a, a, a dust storm. And I don't know when it's going to settle. When is the debris going to settle? When are they going to get it together? By the time halftime came and the Skuns only scored 27 points and Luca matched that with 27 of his own, that's where I was like, this is basically not going to stop. And the Suns are not going to come back from this. And I felt vindicated, and I didn't want to be. But I told my wife and told other people, the Suns are probably going to lose Game 7. I told them the Friday before, two days before Game 7, because there's no way you can come back from 27-point deficit or to, to lose in Game 6 in Dallas or any Game 6 and then expect to have momentum going into Game 7 when you don't. So the Suns won Game 5 by 30, 110 to 80. And then they lost game six, 113 to 86. And they didn't have it. Devin Booker only had 19 points. He didn't shoot well. Um, and he pretty much did not have a great second half, even though he had a hot start. Chris Paul didn't show up again. Uh, for He hadn't really played well since game two. And then none of the Suns really responded well in game six. And Luka had 33 points, 11 rebounds, and um, I think seven assists. And or it might have been nine assists, nearly a triple double. And then he pretty much was the constant of the best player from both teams for most of the series. So I knew he was going to have a great game seven. And the question was, is Devin and Chris Paul and Aiton going to show up? Now, Aiton had played playing well throughout the series, but were they going to show up for this team? because you need your best players to really deliver in game seven. That's what separates the superstars from the good players. All right. So, and is their bench going to show up like they did in game five, where they outscored this, you know, the, the Mavericks 38 to 23 and the bench had been a non-factor in those losses that the Suns had in games three, four, and six. So that was the question for me and thinking that, no, it's not how you start, it's how you finish. The Suns started hot, then they started tapering. They lost three of their last four games going into game seven. They hadn't shot over 50% since game two. 
in the series. And that's why I was like, they're probably going to lose because there's nothing telling me that they're going to just automatically turn this on. So that being said, have you talked to other fans? And I know a lot of fans feel somewhat betrayed. Is that the general feeling too? Is that a good word to use in this situation? You know, I, I think there's multiple levels of fan bases, right? Um, you have, and, and this is just being candid, you have the Fairweather or bandwagon fans that, you know, came around the end of last year and then this year for season tickets uh, because of, of what the Suns were doing. And that's, that's to be expected. And so I think that reaction is very aggressive, uh, disappointed, canceling their season tickets, you know, all, all of that. I think then there's the pretty dedicated, you know, casual fan, if you will, and they're um, upset about the loss and, um, you know, don't understand it, et cetera. And then there's uh, true, diehards that have been around forever have been following when uh, times were extremely rough and times were, you know, better and they're great again. And so I think those fans, which is a category I fall into um, it's, it's a wave of emotions. I don't think, um, you know, we're disgusted with the team and how could this happen more so of what happened and concern and disappointment at just as much as the players have right it's yeah. we had a special group coming off of last year an amazing regular season this year and then um to go out the way we did again going up 2-0 um, going on the road, losing the first, then losing the second, you know, that feeling of like, oh, goodness, is this um, Milwaukee all over again, uh, but not even in the finals, you know, and so um, emotional and a roller coaster, I would say, even over the past week is is what you have. And you're again, you're going to have every extreme from Suns fans I've talked to. Um, all the actions they think that should be taken in this offseason, who should be here, who shouldn't be, whose fault it is, on and on and on. And ultimately, not a lot of that does real good um, in terms of, you know, coping, if you will, or, or navigating what that looks like. Uh, we will have to wait and see what moves are made. There's a lot of options out there. There's a lot of decisions, both for uh, players as well as organization. And so um, this team will look different in some capacity next season. And how different will that look? And, and what will that do, I think, is going to allow us to see what will next year look like. Just back up to my last point about where the Suns are or where the Suns were heading into game seven. Suns and four chant. That was basically an aspiration. Didn't mean something literal to the fans, but it seemed as if it was to get the series closed as quickly as possible. They did that last year in the West semifinals against the Nuggets and, you know, led by the MVP and now two-time MVP, Nikola Jokic. Sweep them. Get the rest you need to recover because a lot of these players need it after being beat up in the Pelican series, right? The Pelican series, they basically took, went through six games and it seemed like way too long because they were outmatched inside in the paint. And now with dealing with the Mavericks, they had the size advantage, didn't really take full advantage of that. And I'm still wondering about why they did not do that. Why did not they basically were outmatched in terms of shooters? Suns don't have many great shooters besides Devin, maybe uh, you know Cam Johnson, and you know Landry Sham is what they got him for as an outside shooter, and he didn't hit too many uh, except for Game Five when he had eight, um, and then he just sometimes was non-existent. And then Mikael Bridges. You know, he's not um, 
like a he's described as a three and D guy, even though he doesn't want to be, but he is one of their better three point shooters. Those guys, the, the the Suns' personnel is not as deep from the three as the Mavericks are, so they had to do a lot of chasing, a lot of closeouts, and after a while, like Chris Paul said, we were just hoping that they miss. I think he said that after game two, um, or it might have been game one. I can't remember. But he said that in a post game, and then after a while, they're at the series, and you're seeing Luca just break guys down and dribble into the paint, and then you just saw how a lot of the one on ones and isolations were basically him dribbling out for ten seconds and then kicking out the guys on the you know on, on the outside, and Suns had to chase those guys, uh, to, you know, to hoping that they missed those three point shots that were basically just raining from all over the court for their last five games of the series, and then. That brings me to the what you said about the changes that are going to come and that are imminent between the Suns and the roster from the bottom up. I don't believe they're going to be from the top down. A lot of people are asking what Aiton's status is. I wrote a piece for the Arizona Republic about where Aiton stands with the Suns after Game 7 loss because of the dust-up, and I asked that question that might be – indicative of you know the season uh, for Monty that it's internal and that's internal pain for Suns fans as well as internal for the organization of how they're going to move forward so I think with Aiton his contract is up and they're they didn't give him the extension that he wanted for the max um, or the rookie max they have only room for one more because they currently have Devin's 158.2 million as the only other rookie max, and they only have allotment for two on each NBA roster. So with Aiden, you got to give him what he wants. He they got Mikhail Bridges. He got four years for ninety million at the start of this past season or the start of this season. Aiden is wants to be like uh, he, he he saw some other guys get uh, from his rookie class in 2018, 172 million. He's like Jaron Jackson Jr. for four years and Trey Young and. Um, a couple other guys. Uh, so those players are Shai Gajiz Alexander. Uh, I'm sorry if I didn't sell his name right, because I always say his name wrong. But those are the guys that he's comparing himself to, and he said he wants to be respected like his peers. He had a great season, and that's your big man, the top bigs in the league, uh, Embiid, Jokic. They're the MVP candidates. Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes, he dribbles the ball from the outside, but he's 6'11", and he is a big. Those are the top players in this league, and you need a good middle guy in order to basically help get those high percentage shots and protect the rim. So Aiton should not be gone. I don't care what anybody says in that that fallout with Monty that you saw, Patrick, you know, in Game 7, taking him out at 826 left in the third quarter. People are wondering, oh, how does that translate, you know, to where they're going to handle it this season? One game does not sum up every game of the season. And I don't think game seven is a summation of where the Suns are going to move forward from. They're, yes, they're going to make changes in how they're going to, you know, have a collapse in the postseason come next year. But I think the bottom is where it starts in terms of the shakeup going to happen for this roster, such as campaign. He didn't show up in the playoffs. He's in the, entering the second year of his $19 million contract, right? He was in the contract year last year. He showed up this season in the postseason. He did not show up. Those guys, like, um, I know that there's other free agents on the roster, such as Biombo. He's His one-year deal is up. Um, also, McGee, his one-year deal is up. 
Are they going to bring guys like that back? Hey, Alfred Payton, he's got a one-year deal. He's uh, he's going to be off the books. Do they, do you get, bring those guys back, or do you let them walk and invest in a shooter and make some trades? What do you do, Patrick? So first, let's let's talk more about Da. So you think the Suns are going to offer him a max or match a max that another team will offer him? Right. I should say that he is a restricted free agent, and the Suns do have a right to match any offer that he gets. And he's going to get big, big money. I know the Pistons are really big on him. Uh, so is Oklahoma City Thunder. They have big cap space, and another team, uh, Portland, has a lot of cap space. So the Suns will definitely hit the luxury tax. That's what they're in the business for. The top teams, except for the Lakers, hit the luxury tax in order to get the best players and retain the roster. And that was my question to Devin, if they're going to run it back on him. And he was kind of vague, and he said, whatever happens, happens. That's between him and the front office. But I just want to be there for him as a brother, know where his mental's at, you know, and make sure his mental's okay. So that right there is like, if you have chemistry already with your big three, why do you want to break it up all of a sudden based on one game? Yeah, it got emotional between two guys. All families fight. All families yeah. have a squabble. What are you going yeah, to So what? I'm not, I'm not concerned about the squabble. I just you, – do you feel the front office and do you personally feel that D.A. is a max player? I believe he proved it since they, 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 are, they went to the finals last year largely because of what he did. He was the most solid big in the finals or all the way towards the finals – against the Bucks last season. And this season, he had a 62.6 field goal percentage, okay? That was one of the best percentages among anybody in the playoffs. And, and so their most efe efficient player on offense should be rewarded. Yeah, they didn't go to him early in the first quarter, and he, didn't, he only had five points and, you know, four rebounds, you know, and 17 minutes in game seven. But, yeah, I mean, everybody played bad. It wasn't just him. So I don't think pinning this on him is the right way to go. And yeah. I, is he a max player? Yeah, he is a max. He's proven it as a one and done. He showed out. He's starting to develop as the guy that the Suns wanted him to be. You know, I'm not I'm not buying it. Uh, I love D.A. I, I love him as a person. Uh, but if I'm a GM, I'm not I'm not paying uh, D.A. a max deal. And and this is why for me conditionally throughout an entire season pre you know pre uh, playoffs or so regular season and then playoffs da does not give me the consistency game in and game out that a max player should and so for me it's it's like when he wants to go hard when he wants to play hard but the dallas series and we can go back and forth as many people do about well did he have enough touches did he go get the ball Go, but here's my issue. You have the mismatch. You talked about it earlier. You should be dominating. Right. You should be posting up. You should be dunking. There were many times at home and on the road and, and at home mostly where he will just catch it, turn, and, and it's wide open. He doesn't, even, he doesn't even dunk it. And then he misses the layup or the little uh, you know, fadeaway or shot that he takes. And, and that can't happen. And so for me, he's a great player. He's a great piece for us. I do not want anyone to get that twisted. But what I'm saying is I have not seen the – I would not have given him a max last year just as the Suns didn't. And I would not give him a max this year based on what I have seen. And so, to me, he he is worth a lot, but he is not worth a max contract. Okay, is he, let's let's feel if we agree on this. Is he a top three center in this league, or a top five center in this league? 
I would say top five, not top three. Okay. All right. Because that's filled up by Embiid, Jokic, and probably Giannis because yeah. I consider oh, yeah. him a big. All right. Yeah, me too. All right. So top five, he's in there. So if you're a top five big in this league, you don't deserve a max? Especially it's not as, about, a, as, a, as a fourth year guy? Look, it, to me, it's it's not just, well, this is who you are. You you get it. No, you have to you have to prove that. You have to come through. You have to perform day in and day out. You don't just get it because. And to me, I have not seen that consistency throughout to where you have earned a max contract. Look, yeah, that- I, yeah I, I totally agree with you on the consistency part. But if I'm, I'm, I know, I, I, I understand he doesn't know where he's at at times under the, the hoop when he gets the ball and he lays it in. He looks like Bill Walton at times. Okay, like like the UCLA Bill Walton times, and just lays it in when back when you know attempts to lays it in right. We're we're back when college basketball, you know, was they outlawed dunking, you know, right? But there's a thing about efficiency that I I totally get back to. Whereas he's he yeah, I grew up on Ewing. I grew up as a Knicks fan, a guy who just could be a rim rocker and just dominate and just be a shot blocker and imposing on his will on smaller guys and just everything is with an aggressive tone and yeah da is not that guy i get it but at the same time he brings that greatness of uh, you know in the offense to the suns that, that we're one of the best offenses this season i look at the body of work over time what he's done and moving forward and yeah would it be a shame to see him on an oklahoma city thunder team that has a number two overall pick and then they have you know, 17 picks like over the next, I mean, the first round over the next five years. Wouldn't it be a shame to see him on a team that's rebuilding well like that? Wouldn't it be a shame to see him when you, when you go up against Portland and he's, you got to go up against Damian Lillard and Aiton? Or when you go to Chicago, he's going to be playing with his boy, Marcus um, Marvin Bagley third. You know, as as the Twin Towers in a rebuilding, you know, Detroit team. Sorry, I meant, I didn't mean Chicago, I meant Detroit Pistons. But wouldn't it be a shame to see that if D.A. is not on the team next year and then you get, yeah, you you might get a step up in like a number three creator off the dribble and say you trade for like Bradley Beal or somebody, you know, that's really great that could compliment Devin as a swingman Um, and and, and Devin being the number two and playing off the ball and Chris being, you know, on the ball as the point guard. Would it be a shame to not make a difference in, in a trade force some guy rather than, uh, you know, in, in keeping rather than keeping DA and then trading for somebody. Look, Dana, I'm taking my fan hat off and I'm putting my GM hat on. And to me, yeah, it would be a shame, but he hasn't earned it. And that's about, I have to have consistency out of you. If I'm a coach, if I'm the, if I'm the GM, if I'm the owner, like you have got to be consistent and you have not proven that to me to be now. Again, worth a value to our team. I love him as a person, personally as well, uh, you know, as a fan and, and how he treats me and, and the other fans and who he is. But when I'm putting my business hat on, clearly the business hat, I am not making an emotional decision. I'm going off of what you earned and you have not earned a max deal. Okay. So you or I don't have to make that decision. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens because <laughs> there's going to be fallout either way, right? And I think more so 
there'll be the, you know, the whole um, image of Robert Server's cheap. He doesn't want to pay anybody if they don't pay him because you know someone is going to offer him the max. And so then it's the son's decision. Do we mash it or do we not? I'm sure that conversation's already been had and then I'm sure they already know what they're going to do when that time comes. So it's going to be something that we revisit for sure. But, um, you know, I respect your position. I won't be upset if he's here. Let me be clear about that too. Uh, I hope he's here. But if I'm the GM and, and, and my job is on the line, you haven't earned it yet. Yeah, I get you. And also, uh, I understand why you feel the way you feel. But also, I also understand how DA uh, being, you know, if he is dealt, game sevens definitely impact franchises. Let's look at the 76ers and Ben Simmons <laughs> you know, after the game seven. Oh, yeah. And it, the, also, which was the semifinals, but for the Eastern Conference last season. Yeah, and, and one more piece. I, I commend the way DA handled the entire – off season last year, this season, how he went about his business, like a, a true professional in that regard. And so again, hats off. And I would be ecstatic if he's still here, but uh, that's my position. You asking me what mm -hmm. I would do if I were the GM and, and, and that's where I stand is, you know, you haven't, you haven't yet earned that. Not that you're not worth it or, or won't get there, but um, from what, what you have shown, you, you haven't earned it yet. Right. Segwaying to Sarver. You mentioned him. And this is about the press release that the Suns <laughs> brought out to uh, social media right after the Game 7 loss. Man, that was a windfall, <laughs> as well as the windfall we're facing from Game 7. Uh, the Suns did as bad as they did in a 33-point loss. They lost – they were up uh, – the Mavericks were up as much as 46 points in game, uh, the fourth quarter. That's how bad it was. And – <laughs> so Jason Rowley, the Suns president, and James Jones, the Suns GM, wrote up an apology to Suns fans about the loss, saying we win together, we lose together, blah, 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 blah. This didn't go over well with Suns fans and didn't go over well with the media. who basically clowned this, the Suns for putting out a statement about losing that bad. And after their landmark season, going 64 and 18, their best record ever, and then losing as bad as they did, do you think this was a good idea to put that statement out? So, look, here – and this, this is where I may be um, just in a whole different boat. To me, two things. One – when I read, I got that same email and before all the, the media, uh, hoop, social media, everybody, you know, making a big fuss to me, I read that and I was like, okay, they're apologizing not for the last game, but for us exiting when we did and how we did. I did not personally read that as a six man member for 20 years now complete. I did not read that as an apology for that one game. Now, that's what I feel social media has made it about. And maybe I didn't read it um, as thoroughly or in the same context, but I read it as this is the end of the season. Here it is. You know, we're, we're sorry we did not achieve our goals. We're right back to the drawing board. You know, that that's what I interpreted it as. The second piece that you asked about is Robert Sarver's signature not being on there means absolutely also nothing to me because most messages we get from the organization um, in the past during season either assigned just by Jason or Jason and um, Jones. And so to me, again, I didn't, it meant nothing to me that Robert Sarver's name wasn't on there either. I, we've received, so again, in the context of being a fan that has been here for years, not an outsider, not media um, directly, 
to me, there was, there was nothing there on either of those points that made me feel any like concern or, Hey, this is what it is. Yes. Optics look awful. Cause the letter came out right after that game. Um, so I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying that's not a valid stance. I'm just saying from someone that's received that many times <laughs> over the years and in many worse situations in terms of our season play to me, I I've been there and seen that. So it wasn't anything of a concern outside of a pretty standard process that the Suns organization has followed. It's just weird to me because Sarver is the most accessible owner that the Suns have. And there's many owners, not just Sarver, but he's seen as the majority owner and there's among the many. And Jason Rowley, great guy, nice guy. I've met him before. In fact, I think he is one of the better people behind the, the scenes in the Suns organization. And he helped basically with the overhaul of the culture change in the front office and also within the business side. And I know this because my wife used to work for the Suns and that's why we moved to Phoenix four years ago in January, 2018. And that's another story itself. I won't get into, but I think Jason Rowley, not if you're going to release a, a statement, you would feel like it comes from the top, meaning the most accessible person at the top. And Sarver, who has obviously been under investigation by the NBA for some of the uh, employment uh, stuff that he's had and some things that he's dealt with at former employees that are saying that he created a toxic work culture and he basically was um, just seen as a rogue owner. And, and with this investigation and there and he's willing to to speak and he stepped down from his financial uh, firm uh basically as, as a chairman of the financial firm and the investigation so maybe that's why they put the release statement out i'm not one to be a conspiracy theorist but i feel that there's something that's behind closed doors that make them say you know what maybe they're not the right time to actually put sarver's name on this statement just have it come from rowley and jones yeah, I'm not buying it. I just went through my emails and I have five emails since 2000, uh, just in the time we've been talking, that have been signed either just by Jason or with Jason and uh, Jones without Robert Sarver. So um, granted, everything's going on with him and the media and and again, all valid points from a perception perspective, because perception's reality in most cases. Yeah. But I'm going from my experiences and my experiences say this was very standard. There Again, this was before it was even a thing. Like when I got the email, there was nothing that shocked me about any of it. Um, and again, now just going through, you know, like I said, in the four minutes, uh, you know, or less that you were you were giving your opinion um it, it's it's very standard for the organization without robert server's name so to me i'm not biting on it and there's nothing there i get you but also this is the same man who begged the taxpayers to pay for the arena to give them 237.5 million i believe to help with the arena renovations to make it the footprint center to what it is and it's a beautiful arena they did a great job with it and i remember in 2019, uh, he begged for that from city council, and it was a big brouhaha, right? And so with that saying that he took taxpayer money, basically, and with the approval of the city to get this arena renovated and everything and reopened in December 2020, and now you would think that somebody who helped spearhead, or actually did not help, he spearheaded this 
whole project to get the arena to where it is and revive the Suns fan base, you know, to have a, a great fan experience. And if this is a letter to the fans, he should be on that statement. You know, and I know the investigation is going on, but you, I feel like at least if you're going to ask for the money, you got to thank the people who actually helped you get the Suns to where they are in the arena and everything that you've done to make sure that these fans feel like they were part of something if they're going to pay for where they are right now and where this organization is right now. Yeah, and we'll have to see what comes of that investigation because that's also something that's been ongoing for a very long time. And uh, I think that'll be a huge off-season um, announcement and situation once a decision is made and the investigation is complete either way, whatever comes of it. Um, I don't see them being able to force him out. I know a lot of people are talking about that as an option. Um, you know, Mark Cuban had a situation there. You know, Donald Sterling's was on a whole nother level. If there was audio or any validation of proof of, you know, some of the extreme things that were claimed, um, then obviously, yeah, that, that would be required. But we have to look at it. I'm not talking about Robert Sarver. I'm talking about an owner in general. Uh, to force someone to sell something, you have to have a lot of concrete evidence. Um, is, is it to say he's a nice guy or a great guy? No. I mean, I think anybody that sees that knows um, it's not the best culture, but there's a lot of companies like that. Not something I would work for. Um, you know, I work for Target and, and I'm very happy about that because of the culture. So I've, I'm a culture first person, but I think it's going to be very interesting to see what comes of that investigation when the NBA, you know, finally makes a decision once that's officially concluded. Yeah. And as a conclusion of this episode, I want to say thank you, Patrick, for talking with me. This podcast has been great, and we're going to continue it. And also, I'm hoping to get a discount because my wife loves shopping at Target as many times as she can throughout the week. All right. We appreciate it. No doubt. And we appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you for listening to Episode 9 of The Inferno. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.